0: I'm Pete and I'm Doug Doug we got the Jovo Cop episode going here number 55
1: yeah I feel like uh, he's another former Canuck that wasn't mentioned in uh, all-time greatest Uh, he probably had two or three of the best and most exciting uh, seasons from a defenseman standpoint Um, yeah we'll get into that a little bit later but uh, yeah I was huge Jovo Cop fan I still remember uh, was it Adam Deadmarsh? he KO'd in that fight I think it was. I
0: I think you're right. Adam Deadmarsh. I forgot about that, but I think you're right. It was Adam Deadmarsh.
1: Yeah, that was a great rivalry that I think, obviously, you know, different era of Canucks, but that, uh, like, I guess West Coast Express against uh, that Colorado team, Milan Hayduke was, like, just the worst, you know, player. He would score a hat trick, like, every other game, it seemed like. Yeah, he was. He was an ultimate Canuck killer. I remember that one year
0: as well, there was uh, uh, just a scoring race going down to the wire between like Naslund and Forsberg and and Hayduke and Bertuzzi. They were all, I think they were like four of the top five
1: scorers or something. That must have been around 02 or 03. Yeah, I also remember Chris Drury was another Canuck killer. And then he went to Calgary for a bit as well and continued his, uh, his Canuck killing ways. Maybe one of these days, uh, we, well, I don't know how many people
0: would want to listen to it, but we go through the like the ultimate Canuck killers of all time or something. That'd be that'd be kind of a funny one to do. I know uh, uh, Max is working his way into it in the modern era right
1: now as well. Yeah, there's definitely a few guys over the years that, for whatever reason, they just put up a ton of points. Gretzky, you know, being another guy, every time he played the Canucks, I mean, he took the all time point record away from uh, Gordy Howe against the Canucks, wasn't it, uh, Kirk McLean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was against... And Gretzky, I think he also scored his 500th, his 800th. Like th- There were so many times where Gretzky had like, a milestone goal or a point against the Canucks, it seems. that I know we've talked about this before on a, one of our episodes, how they actually stopped that game when he broke Gordie Howe's record. They stopped the game and did a little presentation uh, during the game for it It really kind of pissed me off at the time
1: (laughs) yeah I I remember watching the game too and I was a little bit I I was still pretty young and just kind of confused about why they would stop the game like that I understand obviously it's a huge milestone and a massive achievement but you would think that they would you know have the ceremony after the game or something like that it's just yeah it's just kind of weird that you would see it halfway through the game right and the Canucks are just standing there watching this huge celebration. McLean's probably just fuming that the goal was against him, right? Or the point was against him. So yeah, it was it's kind of an awkward moment. But uh yeah. There's
0: also just kind of thinking, this is kind of going a little off script here, but um, you know, just thinking that this year, well maybe not this year, but we're getting close. Uh with well, definitely not this year, I should say. Uh, with Alex Ovechkin catching up to to Gretzky's goal total, but we're also if whenever there is a season, Patrick Marlowe could pass Gordy Howe for the all time games played. I think that's that's kind of not getting enough attention is what Marlow and Ovechkin are doing. And Ovechkin has had to deal with lockouts, with shortened seasons, with pandemics. I mean, if he doesn't get it, it's uh, I, you know, it's a bit of a travesty, really, because if he'd had all his full seasons, he'd be. He'd probably, just kind of looking at where he is right now, he'd probably be in third already, just behind Howe and Gretzky. Yeah,
1: Ovechkin's been very lucky, because considering the way he plays the game, he's a very physical player who literally launches his body at other players, and he's escaped major injury for the majority of his career and he continues to put up 30 plus goals a year. I mean I think he's probably averaging 35-40 goals a year over the past decade if uh there might have been one season where he didn't have over 35. I could be wrong though. Um yeah, that's a good point with Marlowe as well. I, I also thought that Yager uh, would be up there, but I guess he did go over and play in Europe for a few years and then came back to the NHL. If Yager had played his whole career in the NHL and didn't spend, what is it, three or four years over in the KHL, uh, he probably would have already beat Gordie Howe's uh, games played record. Uh, yeah, it's, it's true. It's Yarmer Yager,
0: nine teams as well. Jagr uh, as well finished only 34 games behind Gordy Howe. So you're, you're completely right. If he hadn't gone to the, uh, to play over in Europe, that would have been his record. But I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool, especially with Ovechkin in this era, uh, to be able to put up that kind of goal totals in this era where the goalies are the best they've ever been. Um, I, I, I just think that, if there was any sort of balancing out factor, you know, like you kind of judge for inflation with uh, guys scoring goals in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and 90s and in this era, that Ovechkin, when you adjust that, would, would be the all-time goals leader. So it's something to watch over the next couple of years. I'm trying to do quick math here. Quick math isn't quite working for me. Uh, it looks like it's 188, uh, 186 uh, goals behind. So, you know, that's at least four forty 40-goal seasons. And you know, that's why having a shortened season and another shortened season and losing a lockout season that does hurt him. It's going to be really interesting to watch as he go kind of go down his career here, whether or not Ovi will get it. Is Ovi 33 34 at the moment? I feel I, I want to say
1: 33. Uh, 35. I know he 35 oh, geez, 35. He's 35. Okay, so I mean. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It is going to be tough, but if he can stay healthy and he decides to stay playing in the NHL and not you know, head over to the KHL, I mean, I do think Ovi will end his playing career in the KHL like a lot of Russians do. I mean, Datsuk apparently is putting up pretty good points right now over in the KHL still to this day, which is impressive. Uh, I I do agree with you, though, Pete. I do think it'll be a shame, given the lockouts. Obviously, we're in a pandemic, a shortened season, if he doesn't break the record because I think... By all projections, he was well on his way to breaking and still could break Gretzky's all-time goal record.
0: Yep, one of only
1: eight players to ever topple
0: 700 goals already, and hopefully he can become one of three players to ever top 800. We'll see how this goes. We're seeing around the sports world right now as well, Doug. Um, it's it's funny, like this time of year, October, it's always like the holy grail of sports, right? And Now you're seeing with baseball dying down and basketball dying down and hockey dying down is really the NFL and a bunch of the overseas sports that are kind of carrying it it now and
1: uh I know football has you ripping out your hair a little bit these days as well eh Yeah I mean the Patriots aren't looking too great Cam Newton specifically who I did draft on my fantasy team and I did have to make the tough decision of dropping him this week um yeah, they, and I know they haven't really had the weapons even last year when Brady was there. There was a lot of talk that, you know, they don't have a lot of weapons for Brady and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, they just they look a little out of sorts, but it's not really surprising. You know, I mean, you were pretty much a dynasty for the better half of two decades. And, you know, obviously there's going to be regression and it's time to kind of look at things. I actually saw a report today that the Patriots have said that there's not one player that's untouchable on their team. So, like, a guy like Stephen Gilmore could be traded. Uh, honestly, one of the players I'm actually really, really disappointed with this year in particular, I know he battled some injuries last year, and I know he's injured this year. I think he's actually in concussion protocol currently, is uh, in Keel Harry. I don't know what it is. He just—his route running looks a little lazy, in my opinion. He just— you know he he's a physical specimen. He's you know he's a big body, but he just I don't know what it is. He just doesn't seem to. Again, uh, I'm a layman. You know I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not a professional uh, football scout or anal- analyst or anything like that. But he just looks a little a little lackadaisical on the field when running routes or you know trying to attempt to make uh, passes. And it's kind of a shame, right? I mean, you look at what DK Metcalf does, and I'm not a Seahawks mm-hmm. fan whatsoever, but that guy is like. You know, all effort. I I mean, the play of the week was that rundown of uh, Budabaker when he uh, intercepted Russell Wilson. And then you just Mm -hmm. got this, what, Metcalf's what, like 6'6, 280 pounds? And he's running like 23 miles per hour. I think uh, next gen stats uh, clocked him in at. And you see Budabaker over, look over his shoulder and you can tell, oh no, you know, he's coming. And then, yeah, great tackle as well. Great form by DK. Yeah, that was a pretty cool play and Buda Bakers a hell of a
0: player as well and uh, he can run pretty fast too for a big guy. Um that uh, that Seahawks Cardinals game though that was something else. I mean I'm a Seahawks fan and I, even after that loss I was like you know I can't even really be mad about that loss. That was just a hella entertaining game. The Seahawks have given me a, a kind of just nail biters every week really. It's been they, I think they've been kind of lucky to get as far as they did without losing. But geez that was a hell of a game. Uh, the Battle of Ohio. Who would have thought that both games this year those would be hella games. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been pretty fun watching football. Unfortunately, it's only on three nights a week right now, and we lost baseball. Uh, did you catch much of the World Series? Where, are you much a baseball fan or a postseason baseball fan? I, because I kind of differentiate between the two.
1: I am. I am. I think, like, for me, it was hard to get in baseball at first because, like I said, I think uh, when we had Luke on last week's episode, or maybe it was a couple episodes prior – I didn't realize the Blue Jays' first series was like a three-game series or best of three, pardon me. So I was like, oh, wow, the Jays have lost two games and are already out. So that kind of took me out a little bit. I am a Jays fan. I grew up in that era. Joe Carter, Roberto Alomar, uh, you know Todd Stoudemire, that whole crew, Pat Hankin, Juan Guzman. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, like I, I hadn't been following it much. I will also say this. Uh, I was kind of wanting the Astros to beat the Devil Rays. And I'm sorry, uh, Aussie Luke. Uh, I know you're a big Devil Rays fan. Uh, I just wanted that rematch between the Dodgers and the devil and part of me, the Astros. I just would have been great theater, right? I mean, the cheaters, you know, f- play against the Dodgers who have, you know, made it to what, like three world series in the last five years and have lost every time up until this world series. So I was kind of hoping for that. And then once, The Devil Rays did make it. I was cheering for the Devil Rays. They're kind of like the underdog uh, heading into that. The Dodgers were the best team in baseball all year and have been the best team in baseball probably over the course of the last five years. I can tell you're a casual fan because you're still calling them the
0: Devil Rays. It's uh, it's just the Rays now. Oh, just there the you go. There you go. I'm not sure when they dropped it, but it's been a couple of years. Um, that game four in that World Series, that was amazing. Um, just back and forth, back and forth. Every half inning, people were scoring runs. Um, and, of course, uh, this whole Justin Turner fiasco as well. Like. That's just a bad look for Major League Baseball overall. I don't I don't know if I even want to get into that, how stupid I think all that was, and and now you got to figure out all the contact tracing with that. But uh, that's kind of a kind of a weird way to to end the MLB season, I think, as well. Um, let's uh, let's kind of get into this a bit more, Doug, with uh, with the Canucks stuff. And uh, first of all, you can find me on the Twitter machine, Pete underscore Gas. We got the podcast at Canucks Speak as well.
1: Uh, Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn, and as always, we're building this ever-growing outro playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. Give that a follow on Spotify as well. So Doug, uh, taking it to, we've talked for, where
0: are we here now? We're 12 minutes in, and uh, we haven't even really gotten into the Canucks yet. So since we last recorded, the first big news that happened was Jake Furtanen. And Vertanen is now officially signed two years. It's a $5.1 million contract, so a 2.55 AVV. Doug, what do you think about this deal for Jake?
1: Look, I've been—I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat things. I've been uh, very critical of Jake over the years. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, his effort, his his compete, will to want to compete have all been questioned by me. I do think this is a good, friendly number for the Canucks. It's a two-year deal um 2.55 million over the course of the next 2 years. I also think it's backloaded. I believe this year the money's less than next year. Um still the same cap hit obviously. So I think it's a good deal uh in the Canucks vacuum. Obviously when you see the Dallas Stars sign Dennis Girionov to the exact same deal, then you're like, "Oh, you know, that's kind of a shame." Um I do think Jake probably would have ended up with more money in his arbitration hearing. Uh so I think it was good that Benning company uh, got a deal signed prior to the arbitration hearing. Uh, you know, this is a make it or break it year for Jake. I think most fans are, you know, thinking that there was an interview after he signed the contract on one of the radio stations. I'm not sure if it was Sportsnet or TSN. It might have been both. And he talked about uh, how he's actually doing off-season training with Tyler Myers in Kelowna. And so to me, that's a good sign because, you know, people can criticize Tyler Myers all they want. He is a guy who does keep himself in very good shape and takes his off-season training uh, very seriously. So hopefully uh, that'll kind of get into Jake. And, you know, he was talking about how Myers was talking about trying to get a nutritionist and eat right and all that stuff. And look, trust me, man, I, I'm not the world's healthiest eater in the world uh, out there either. So, you know, I can't judge or anything like that. But I do think, you know, if you want to be a professional athlete and you're trying to, you know, make a career out of that. That is something you got to be more and more cognizant. Gone are the days of, you know, players showing up to camp out of shape and then getting into shape at camp. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I think it looks like Jake's going to get every opportunity to play in the top six, perhaps on the top line with Miller and Petey or on the second line with, uh, Horvat and, um, wow. I can't think of his name right now. Pearson, Pearson, Tanner Pearson. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think so. um,
0: So with Jake, I I think he is going to get a a shot at the top six. And I think again, I think a lot of what the Canucks are doing. First of all, the second year, that's uh, that's kind of a a perk for him taking the lower uh, AAV uh, as well, because he wouldn't have got a second year in arbitration. Also, the way the deal is structured, his base salary is three million in the second year, which will give him a higher qualifying offer that is needed. After this, so really, after two years, the Canucks could say we're not going to qualify you and walk away if if they don't like it. So there's an incentive in there for him as well. I think part of from an ownership perspective as well. I know Canucks fans, we always kind of come back to ownership and ownership getting involved. But I've just been kind of looking at it as from a business side of, of things as well, because it's impossible not to. Um, Letting Toffoli go, you're, if you're the owners, you're saying, "Hey, we have this guy Vertanen. Let's let's put him in." With you know, there's there's same thing kind of with Markstrom and, and bringing in Holtby. Is you're not making as much money. You're paying playing in a reduced schedule next year. That's pretty much a given. This is a year where you want to watch your wallet a bit more. And the Canucks also have this. The way they're structured is within the next two years, a lot of this salary is going to come off the books, and then they're going to have more wiggle room. And by then hopefully the pandemic is, is gone and we can look at opening the books a bit more and bringing in the players then. So I kind of understand that Jake is going to be given an opportunity, I think on the top line, I think that's where they're going to slate him in. Uh, and this is it. This is really it for Jake. I mean, we've been saying this before. Uh, I think it's great that he's training with Myers. I think it's great that he's training outside of Vancouver as well. I think that's really important too. Um, Will we see something different? Will we see the Jake that we've always wanted to see? Again, the salary cap hit is good, but is he going to deliver on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the key. The last couple of years, he's been getting closer and closer to that 20-goal mark. Um, this year, he probably would have hit it if there was a full season played. He... At times, he looks great. Like at times, he's all over the ice and, you know, he's creating plays with his legs and his speed and his power. But then there are other times when you don't notice him at all. And I'm not saying he has to go out there and be physical and hit everything that moves. But, you know, for a guy his size that can skate as well as he can and has a good shot, he's invisible more often than not, in my opinion. And I think he just. Some people, it takes longer for them to mature, right? And to kind of take their career or their, you know, whatever it is in life seriously. And I think Jake's kind of at a crossroads now. And hopefully, you know, this is where he turns a corner. I mean, guys like Todd Bertuzzi, I believe Bertuzzi was traded when he was 24. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it was the same age Jake is now. And he was traded to the Canucks, and that's when he really started to develop his game and become, you know, a dominant power forward in the league. I'm not saying that I think Jake's going to be the same player as Todd Bertuzzi at his peak. But, you know, if you can get a consistent, you know, 20 goals out of Jake over the next three, four years, if he's signed beyond this two year contract, I would be more than happy with that.
0: Statistically, If you look at Jake on a spreadsheet, he's shown improvement every year. His stats are going the right way, and he's done that a lot of the time in a second- and third-line role as well. You look at his playoff stats, so three points in 16 games, and we all know I can only really think of like one game where he was really effective um, in, in the playoffs. And this is, for me, this is like, what Jake are we going to get now? This is really it. We could – Canucks fans could finally fall in love with Jake Furtanen or – We could just have a real frustrating two years. It sounds more and more like the Canucks aren't going to trade him. I know there was a lot of speculation of that, but I think he's going to be a Canuck next year. I think they're going to see what happens with his next two years on his deal, and then they're going to make the decision after that with what happens. But he's never really had consistent top six minutes, and that's something that's really interesting is what will Jake do if he is riding shotgun? With uh, with Pete and Miller, there's this is a as good an opportunity as he's ever going to get.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I agree. He hasn't had consistent top six minutes, but part of that is because he constantly shows up to camp out of shape. So, coaching staff isn't going to reward a guy who constantly can't come into camp in shape. Uh, I liked your little uh, shotgun pun there, Pete. That was a good one, by the way. I, I, I thank you. I'm glad you you noticed and appreciated that. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, I think if Jake actually does come into camp next year, whenever that is, there's talk and speculation. The season might not start till February now. Um, I think that it'll be great if he can come in and show Travis Green and the rest of the coaching staff that he's here to play this year and he's going to put his best foot forward. And hopefully, you know, Travis will have to be forced to give Jake every opportunity to succeed in the top six. Um, it, I still think that the balls in Jake's court though, that a lot of the times he hasn't gotten that ice time. It's his own doing the fact that he shows up constantly out of shape and he doesn't seem to take his off season training seriously. I feel like a broken record here.
0: Yeah. You, you sound a bit like one too, but I mean, I, I get it. I, I think that's a lot of Canucks fans get it. The other thing with Jake is he's going to be looking over his shoulder right now is does Hoglander make the team? He's he's, You know, he's looking pretty good over what he's doing in Sweden. Pod Colson eventually is going to be coming over as well. I mean, there's a a couple of kids knocking on the door now. So with a a two-year window, you're saying, hey, if Jake hasn't done it by then, we're not going to qualify him at his three plus or whatever it is that he needs. And we got these two kids coming up who can play the wings in the top six, and we're going to go with with them. Have you been following much of what's going on with some of the, the European prospects for the Canucks?
1: Yeah, I've just been following what I see on Twitter for the most part. Um, you know, obviously, Fan2 Abby, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. He's a great follow. He's always uh, filling everybody in and some of the prospects overseas. Chris Faber, obviously, as well, is another great follow for fans to check out and make sure. Uh, you know, he's always up to date on all the stats and games played over there. Uh, by all accounts, it sounds like uh, Hoglander is playing really, really well. Uh, his defensive game has been getting some praise as well. Uh, Pod Colson, obviously, it's, uh, you know, it's been an up and down uh, season for him, Uh, not probably due to anything he's done per se, mostly just, you know, not being able to find ice time on that on that team. Yeah, well,
0: one thing with Pod Colson, and I don't know how many times I've said this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, is uh, World Juniors coming up in December. And I do think he's going to really showcase his stuff there. I know that a lot of Canucks fans right now are a little disappointed with his stock I guess because he's bouncing up and down I'm personally I'm glad he's going down just so he gets some more ice time I want the guy playing but him and another Canuck prospect as well Dmitry zlodiev and if I, I got his name wrong uh, you know please forgive me everyone knows how bad I am with names but sixth rounder by the Canucks he's also going to the Russian camp this kid is starting to look like could be a little bit of a diamond in the rough for the Canucks
1: yeah he's another guy that most of those guys on Twitter that are, that are watching these prospects consistently are praising I know Faber has, I believe he wrote, wrote an article about him, and uh, Fantu Abbey's always talking about him as well. Uh, Zlatiav looks really, really good, and he looks like a steal for the Canucks right now at a six-round pick. I mean, obviously, there's still a long ways to go for him to make the NHL, but uh, I said this after the draft. I think the Canucks got really good value with the picks, the limited picks they had, and right now he's the guy that you hear most of the people praising. So, yeah, and he's put up four goals in
0: eight games uh, in with Dinamo as well. He was 10 points in 11 games with uh, Dinamo Moscow, uh, the the MHL team over there as well. So he's definitely been turning some heads. Uh, it's pretty cool to see. Uh, and the fact that we could have two Russians on a junior team, I, geez, I don't know when that happened uh, for Canucks. They've, they've generally steered away from Russians for the most part for a long time there. So it's kind of interesting seeing them go back and, find a, well, I mean, Pods wasn't a diamond in the rough. He was a guy that they took a gamble on with based on him falling to 10th overall. But this Zladiev kid, uh, from what I've seen as well,
1: kind of getting a bit excited. It should be fun watching the juniors with those guys. Yeah, I agree. If Zladiev makes the team, I know there's talk that Colson could be the captain of the Russian team, but if Zladiev makes, makes the team, which it sounds like he's got a decent opportunity to do. Uh, he's definitely a guy that uh, I'll be very excited. I don't I'm very excited to watch. I don't think Gillis drafted a Russian during his tenure whatsoever. Um, so I, I yeah that obviously, and I I don't I know Nones wasn't here that long, but I don't think Nones. I could be wrong on Nones, but I'm pretty sure he didn't draft any Russians either. So that's why there was a pretty long gap in Russian prospects for the Canucks. I don't think it was until the Canucks drafted Triampkin. Uh, that was like the first time in, I, I think, nearly a decade they had drafted a Russian.
0: Yeah, it feels like a well that we haven't really gone to. I mean, obviously, Sweden and Finland, we've tapped into uh, a bit more and even a little bit with the, the Czech leagues. But Russia, not as much. But again, going back to Jake, it's going to be really interesting to to watch what happens with those kids, uh, whether Hoglander comes over to camp, uh, what guys do at the World Juniors, a little bit of looking over his shoulder, and I think he knows it as well. Um, I think this is, like I said, man, this is this is kind of the end of the line for Jake here. Is this two-year deal, he can either become a Canuck, well, not not a superstar, but he can become a Canuck top six, a legitimate top six player, and earn a new deal after this, or that'll be it. They won't qualify him. I think it's a it's a really well laid out contract, I think, from both sides, and so far, maybe Jake's going to prove us wrong. Maybe he's going to show up uh, in shape to camp. You know, that would be uh, I'd I'd be I'd like nothing more. As hard as we both been on Jake, and a lot of Canucks fans. I mean, everyone wants Jake to do well, but what if Jake turns it around as a twenty five goal man in a in a top line? I mean. Hey, that would be fantastic to see, especially on a two point five five AAV. Speaking of cap hits and cap hits as well as stuff, I wanted to clarify a mistake I'd made on the past couple of episodes where I was saying how the Canucks should buy out Sven Berchi, and I was wrong with that because they couldn't buy out Sven Berchi because he's making under four million a year. So that was something that got to correct myself on. Sutter was the only one who they could buy out. I thought that they might. But and it was also kind of a long shot with the way the Canucks have gone about these things. I think they're just looking at getting all these salaries off the books and not carrying anything over.
1: Yeah, and you mean the second window because uh, the first window yes. they could have bought up Berchi, Yes.
0: Yeah, 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 and, and again, I was kind of surprised then that they didn't. So, anyways, I was uh, preaching to a, a choir of nobody there because hey, they couldn't, they couldn't do it. Anyways, um, we also lost a couple other Canucks this past week. Uh, Josh Levo joins the Calgary Canucks, and Oscar Fantenberg goes over to play with uh, Vasily Podkolzin's team over in Russia, SKA St. Petersburg.
1: Yeah, the Fantenberg one i will start there. I, I don't think it's much of a surprise. Like, he was a serviceable defenseman for the Canucks this year, but I do think the Canucks want to see what they have in a guy like Ulevi or Jack Rathbone. Um, Brogan Rafferty is another guy who... I I never remembered. Is Fattenberg left or right? Fantenberg's left, which is the same okay. side as as Levy and and, and Rathbone and, yeah.
0: and Rafferty plays on the right
1: side. So I, I know where you're going with this, and I agree. The left side's crowded. Yeah, exactly. And you got two young guys who, especially in Yul Levy, you really need to see what you have in him. It's been. What he was drafted in 2016, you're gonna be five years pretty much since his draft once the new season starts. So, you really need to know what you have in him. Rathbone, this is his first, uh, professional like first year of professional hockey, so to speak. So, you know, he could cook in the minors for a little while. Uh, the AHL are also said that they're targeting a February 5th start date to their league as well, which I found interesting. I don't know if you caught that, Pete. No, I didn't. That's uh, that's quite late.
0: I'm, I've been following more so what they're going to do with uh, the farm teams for Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton because they all play down in the States and how they may have to relocate up here, which, uh, as a Canucks fan, could be kind of cool if you have the Comets play out of Abbotsford. I mean, it sucks for Utica because, from what I understand, they've got a pretty good fan base down there. But you don't really have much of a choice. So that's interesting
1: that it's that late that uh, they're doing it as well. Well, I think the AHL is very dependent on re- gate revenue. So they want to try to push it back as far as possible so they can at least get a few fans in the stadium. Uh, but yeah, going back to Fattenberg, I'm not really surprised. I I enjoyed his play. I thought he was very serviceable. Levo's interesting to me. I would assume the Canucks would have made a similar offer as Calgary. I mean, he pretty much got the minimum on a one-year deal, coming off a major injury. That there is still a lot of questions that need to be answered, and you know, I shouldn't say need to be answered, but are difficult to answer at this time. I think Levo didn't feel the love from the Canucks. It sounds like there wasn't a lot of interest, or the Canucks weren't going out of their way to try to get a deal done with him, and so he decided to go to greener pasture, so to speak. I did also see, and I forget who it was, I wish I could give them credit for this, but I saw somebody kind of tweet this out, and they were saying how the pressure for players to take less money from their team to re-sign with their team is, is a real thing, and that's why you see a lot of players will take less money and go somewhere else, but not take less money to sign for the same team. And now obviously there's certain players that will take a hometown discount, but most hometown discounts are long-term contracts for your superstar slash star players. Uh, so I found that to be kind of an interesting little tidbit there, uh, and that was maybe one of the reasons why Josh Levo decided to go to Calgary. Uh, the other guy that I, we were talking about before we hit the record button was Ben Hutton, and he was a guy last year, or not last year, prior to me, the year before, who declined the Canucks offer because the Canucks didn't qualify him, and he chose to sign a one-year deal, I believe for less money than what the Canucks had offered him and in L.A., and now he finds himself in year two, Without a job, and if he would have signed that deal the Canucks offered him, he would have a contract right now.
0: Yeah, the Canucks apparently had offered him a two-year deal, um, but it be he was just wasn't happy with the whole situation, and just, he took the one year in L.A. And you know, at the end, it, it does end up hurting his wallet because at the moment, at least, he's still unsigned. Um couple of things i wanted to mention oscar fantenberg uh i am surprised he couldn't find a home in the nhl he got a long look in the playoffs a lot of teams saw him and i figure you could have gotten fantenberg for under a million i'm i'm surprised that no one in the nhl took a shot on him maybe he wanted to go back to europe i i don't know but uh i am surprised after the long addition and the, the long look that he got and anyone who's watching vancouver playoff games you know he was a, he was a number 5 or 6 defenseman a lot of the time there on a team that got to game 7 in the second round so i thought there would be more value for him uh, wish him all the best so the left side is very crowded as you mentioned and i think ole olevi has got that uh, three spot on the left side rathbone is going to certainly be in the mix as well jordy ben can play both sides so i think you're going to see jordy ben shuffle over to the right um and that's another thing with a- kind of this asset management with you're looking at ownership they're like well why would we go and get another right side d when we have another guy who can play on his offside and jordy ben and that's uh, kind of what i think came down to with levo as well is as much as i i'm a huge josh Levo fan. If you're looking at this just from a purely business side, the Canucks have 15 forwards right now in pro contracts. Now, that includes Michael Ferland, who's likely going to be put on IR. That includes Sven Berchi, who's likely going to get sent down. That includes Louis Erickson, who a lot of people to make this cap flexibility work will also get sent down. Um, But there's... The canucks are tight against the cap let's not kid ourselves what and if they if this jake for Tannen thing doesn't work out and they need to go out and get another top six forward they're going to need some cap flexibility here every little bit counts and josh levo i know it's only 875 but that's another bit where you are this tight against the cap the canucks right now are over the cap they're they're over by uh what do we got here like about a million bucks or something that they're over uh it's the, adding more forward contracts right now, it doesn't really make sense, especially when you know you talk about having some guys in the system. Uh, Cole Lind is a guy we've talked about before. Lucas Yassik is another guy. Niels Hogland or William Lockwood. Uh, this is a year where I think the Canucks want to see what they have. And that's why you've seen all these guys kind of go. You're going to see next year as well, you're going to see a lot of guys go as well. Uh, the Canucks ended up deciding to go with a guy like Jace Hauerluck, Instead of Josh Levo, because they wanted uh, something a little different. But after next year as well, you know, Sutter, Pearson, Berchi, they're all gone the year after that. You got Erickson, Roussel, Beagle, uh, all who are all likely gone. So I think what the Canucks want to do right now, see what they have. Again, work with this two year plan, which I think is smart. And go from there. And I mean, I know, we all know the Canucks have mismanaged aspects of their cap and put themselves in in, in a tough situation. But I do think they're this year they're they're showing some good restraint with it all as well and that that's for me that's kind of my take on why they didn't go with Josh Leiva because if you look at it just from a purely business standpoint like well we already have 15 forwards under pro contracts and there's only 13 spots and you know we put one on LTIR and send one down and boom there you go like why are we spending more money when there's no gate revenue and it's a shortened season so that's the only thing I think is I think the Canucks are really thinking more from a business side this year and I, I know that a lot of fans would be like oh we're were not as good as last year, and it's hard to disagree with that, that we may be taking a step back this year. But at the end of the day, all the core pieces are still there with more young guys coming up. You can interchange parts more next year and the year after when you have a lot more cap flexibility.
1: I totally agree. I I think the Levo situation, given the severity of the injury he's coming off, uh, there was rumors or talk that the Canucks were maybe trying to squeeze him for a two-way deal, and he didn't want a two-way deal. He wanted a guaranteed contract in the NHL. And, you know, those were all kind of deciding factors for him to go to Calgary. Uh, I agree. I think a guy like Jace Howerluck is, you know, probably a better bet to get you, You know, I, I guess it depends on how many games the season's going to be next year, but let's say he's a better bet to play Sixty to seventy percent of the games than a guy like Josh Levo, who could easily have a season-ending injury again or re the broken kneecap. Um, you know the Canucks. Once the season starts, they'll definitely be putting a guy like Berchi back in the minors, which will get them cap compliant. Uh, there's been rumblings about Michael Ferland going on LTIR. I know uh, you know his agent did a hit, and they were talking about. The agent was saying how, you know, this can't keep happening and we got to figure something out here. So it'll be interesting how that all breaks. And there it will be some cap relief there because I believe you get the full three and a half million dollars in cap relief. So that'll give the Canucks a little bit of wiggle room, especially like you said, if Jake doesn't work out. But the one thing that I am concerned about, and it was a major outlier last year for the Canucks, and it was a reason why they were fairly successful last year. They didn't really have too many major injuries and Generally speaking, the history of the Canucks and just you know the history of being an professional athlete playing in you know the highest tiered sports league, injuries are going to happen to your team and to your best players from time to time and the one thing that really worries me heading into next season is I don't know if the Canucks have the same depth as they had last year there's a lot of younger guys that I think the Canucks will probably have an opportunity and us as fans will have an opportunity to take a good hard look at to see what we actually have in some of these guys you mentioned a guy that I'm really curious about a Will Lockwood he's a guy that you know he had a pretty decent college career although he was a bit injury prone over the years as well but he's a guy that I really like to get a look at at some point in this year depending on how the lineups go. Cole Lind is another guy we mentioned and then Hoglander and Pod Coulson could be coming over in the springtime depending when their seasons end. Uh, I actually I think Hoglander could be over by Christmas or January if I'm I, I could be incorrect about that, but I believe the Swedish league will be ending just before the new year, so Hoglander in theory could be over sooner than later. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year next year, uh, but I am worried about the depth.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. And I, I, I'm personally, I'm, a, I'm excited to see some of these kids. There's also a lot of free agents still out there. The, the Canucks could, if they figure, hey, we need a little more help. There are a lot of guys out there that I think are being squeezed out by other teams. And just everyone's kind of looking at this. I mean, there's some really decent players out there. So the Canucks could always go back to the free agent market if, if they or get a little bit creative with the cap, with the LTIR, with the send downs, you know, guy like Michael Grabner comes in or a Justin Abdulkader, or, you know, a Carl Soderberg, or a Colin Wilson or someone. Like, there's a lot of decent players out there. So I, it's... I, I I really like Josh Levo. I'm a big fan of the way he plays. But right now, again, I'm looking at things just with, with my business hat on, and I'm like, I, I kind of get it. So we'll see where they go with that. Um, I wanted to also... Shifting gears with the Canucks right now, just uh, getting into a, a couple of things that are happening online. Let's start with the fun one right now uh before we get into some of the other ones. Uh Five greatest Canucks of all time. I always love these kind of lists, and five is such a small, small sample size that it makes it it makes it makes pretty tough. I mean, I think we could both agree the Sedins and Bure would be in the five, right? Yes. I mean, to me, that's the easiest. Those three are the easiest. After that, there's... a um, I, I personally think there's maybe three or four guys who kind of get rattled around for the last two spots. But, Doug, I'm going to put you on the spot first here. You got to choose. Gun
1: to your head. Last two spots for the top five. Who are you going? Um. Well, spoiler alert, I'm probably not putting both Linden and Naslin on my list. So only one of them would make it. And it's tough because Hummin' Han trying to think... Who I would rather have on the list. I do really, really like Lyndon. Although I will say, my love for Lyndon fell off a little bit just his time as the president of the team. And I still hold it. I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a bitter guy with the com- with the comment he made about how he can go to the Sadines and tell him we're gonna tear it down. I'm like, dude, you're representing the crest on the front, not the name on the back. Um, So that bothers me, but that shouldn't bother me in this question. The question is, top five Canucks, and obviously we're talking about what they did on the ice. Naslin's... Yeah, you haven't you haven't
0: said anything. This is quite the intro yet. I'm, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, because I'm I'm
1: wanting to see where this build goes. Well, I'm making a case for both, right? I, I'm literally <laughs> I'm literally in my head trying to decide right now. You said you put me on the spot, and I'm giving you my on the spot I, answer. I, I like it. I'm seeing the inner
0: workings uh, of of Doug's brain here. So carry on. Well, nasland.
1: Like You can't say he's underrated, but he's probably one of the, if not the most underappreciated superstar the Canucks have ever had. And I know a lot of the Naslin criticism comes down to playoff success. And that team, a lot of people thought, would have a lot more success in the playoffs, and they didn't. And the whole choking comment that I don't know why so many fans ridiculed and criticized him for I like the honesty I like that he was holding himself and the rest of the team accountable in that comment but if I'm going strictly by play on the ice and you know the more memorable moments and more impactful moments at least in my opinion for the success of the Canucks it would probably be Trevor Linden and then fifth I'm this one's This one's more of like a fan favorite for me as opposed to uh, who is the greatest. I mean, you can make an argument he's not even the greatest player at this position for the Canucks. But this is my list, and this is who I'm putting on the list, and it's Matthias Oland. Uh, Nice one, man. I I had a feeling you'd put put a
0: D-man in there. Uh, Matthias Oland... I, I love the guy as well. Um, my two, I'm kind of going with what a lot of people were saying. I am going to stick Bobby Lou in there just in terms of what he did in the crease was, uh, was, was really spectacular and kind of ended the goalie graveyard. That was Vancouver. Um, and my second one is going to be Nazland. I'm going to put Nazzy in there. Uh, the guy just during that era was was unreal, and uh, three straight forty plus goal seasons as well. Um, I like I like the Olin, though. It's a, I mean is he is it my favorite Canucks that I'm putting in there? No, it's uh, I, I mean if it was favorites I'd have Kevin Bieksa right near the top, right? But uh, it's uh, you know it's in terms of what they did with the team and pure skill and, and excitement, I got to go with uh, Lou and Nazi. round out my top five TL you missed because I can't stand your freaking fitness commercials man like (laughs) what is what is up with those like why are they still on the air they're so bad
1: I agree, and you know what? That is another negative towards Linden as well. I agree. Club sixteen, isn't it? Oh man, yeah, yeah. Come play where I play or whatever. It's
0: like, (laughs) oh my god, like all the people with like the terrible. uh, I could, yeah. It's he lost some marks for that one. That pushed him out. Like if it was in overtime, that was uh,
1: that was where he lost the game right there. So, I will also say going back with Naslin really quickly. I also think how the Canucks traded Alexei Stojanov for a guy who is now, you know, has his number retired by the club and just the acquisition cost to get a guy like Naslin and for him to, you know, almost the opposite of what happened with the Canucks with Cam Neely, right? And I think that's why Naslin, and don't get me wrong, he put up some phenomenal seasons and he won the the Pearson, which is, you know, best player voted by the players, not the media. And most players, you know, in their mind, that trophy is more important to them than the Hart trophy is um so those are big deals and he had an absolute incredible you know run with the west coast express there but i also think what the canucks gave up to get a player like that it was like one of the first times you felt like the canucks truly you know dominated a trade
0: yeah yeah it's uh, one of the best trades if not the best trade in, in canucks history only Canuck to win the Pearson because they changed it to the Lindsay. And then the second year of, of the Lindsay, that's when Daniel won it. But those are the only two Canucks to, to win that award as voted by the players. So I think that's enough to for me to get Nazi into there, um, along with Bobby Lou, who leads the Canucks in every goaltending category. And we may not have had 2011 without him. Let's get into the not fun stuff that's uh happening in the world of Canucks. Uh Canucks fans, as as we all know, uh we like to eat each other and and seem to just always find something to fight about. Um so we got two things well, the second one isn't really a Canucks thing. The big thing that's uh been going around with the Canucks though is uh Petey going on the spit and chicklets podcast. Uh there's a lot of people who are pretty upset about that. There's a lot of people who don't see what the big deal is. Um, and, uh, Doug, again, you go first here. What is your take on, well, first of all, are you upset that Pedersen went on the spit and chiclets?
1: No, I mean, he's his own man, right? Like he's, I know you keep, everyone's talking about the brand and he's trying to build a brand and he, I get it, you know, spit and chiclets, whether you like them or not, they are probably the biggest hockey podcast out there. Um, they do cater to a certain kind of, you know toxic shitty demographic which does make up a lot of the fandom barstool is a very problematic sports entity um you know they are uh they kind of feed that culture of you know shittiness i'll say um but at the end of the day you know the majority of our heroes that we look to you know our celebrity heroes they don't have the same moral compass as you or me and, you know, they do things, what's in the best interest for them. You know, Petey's got a brand. I don't have a brand. You know, you don't have a brand, Pete. Uh, wait, wait, it, this podcast doesn't give us a brand? I mean, I guess maybe, right? <laughs> like, But not quite to the same level. But I get it. I guess the thing here is what I'm frustrated with the most. The two things that frustrate me the most with this story. One is that. People are allowed to be disappointed that he chose to go on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Sure, you have every right to be disappointed. I can't tell anybody how to feel about anything. You know what I mean? Um, two, the fact that people think because they're disappointed in him going on the podcast that they're trying to cancel him. The one thing that I do hate is how anytime you criticize somebody for anything, Oh, you're trying to cancel me, or this is cancel culture. I don't disagree with that. You can criticize people, and generally, when you're criticized, it helps. Hopefully, helps you self reflect and realize, you know what, I was being a shitty person, or I did say something that was misogynistic or careless. And you have time to reflect in the mirror and say, you know what, I want to be better. Um, when you don't. You know, call someone to the floor and say, "Hey, look, that was a really shitty thing you said or a really shitty thing you did." Then that behavior will continue to perpetuate. But for Petey, again, I I don't like I don't have an issue with it, and I also think, and this is another thing that really is annoying and frustrating at times. Do we not think people can evolve and get better? You know, I mean, I'm sure people had poor jokes, poor taste in jokes a decade ago, and would say certain words. That you wouldn't say today, right? In today's day and age, that's just not acceptable anymore. And you learn and you grow and you get better. And we never stop doing that. I don't care if you're in your 50s, your 60s, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. And for me, like I said, I get it. But you can be disappointed. You can be annoyed that he went on that podcast. I don't have an issue if you have that feeling. You have every right to feel that way. But yeah, also, you know, he's doing what's best for him in his own interest, and I don't hold that against anybody. I mean, that's the kind of day and age we live in right now. You know, people are doing what's best for them.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty well said. Um, I get both sides of this. I think, yeah, so if if you're pissed off and upset about it, I, I totally get it. I, I'm not a fan of Barstool Sports. Um, I used to when I first started listening to podcasts – I would spit and chicklets is one of the ones I'd put in rotation but I don't think I ever once made it through an episode I just kind of realized it wasn't quite my take uh, when I again when I first started listening I was really big into 31 thoughts that was kind of like my take I'm like I really like uh, Elliot and Jeff and I thought that was more where I went and to some of the other Canucks podcasts out there I'd listen to those guys as well um, but spit and chicklets didn't take with me I know some friends who listen to it and they're not bad dudes they just That's one of the avenues that they went with and listened to. I get, though, why people don't like it. I don't like it. I would have rather he didn't go on there, but I'm not going to hate on the guy. Does anyone out there really think that Elias Pettersson is a bad dude? I, I don't. He seems like a great guy. I'm very proud that we have him as a Canuck. He's also becoming... We talk about building a brand, but he's also becoming probably the most popular Canuck player of all time outside of this market. And I do really mean that because you think about the way we're all connected now. It's a different level than 10 years ago and five years ago even, and certainly back when I was a, a fan growing up in the 80s and 90s. So in this kind of connected age, you can really make a lot of money and make a big name for yourself by by doing a lot of these things and outside of this market from a lot of my friends and fans i talk to in other markets pd is really well liked and respected and so again it's 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 something as canucks fans i i'm proud of the guy i think he's a good guy i certainly don't think he's a bad guy um i'm not going to listen to the episode because i i just don't really listen to that podcast but i think uh if, if you're upset by it all right, that's great, but I'm not gonna listen to Spitting Chicklets, and I'm still gonna really like Petey. Um I think he's he's awesome. He's a great player, and he's a good dude. So, um, yeah, I just there's a bit too much of the bro culture uh, with with the barstool stuff that uh, yeah just isn't isn't really my my jam. I guess you know, but if you hey if you listen to it, that's that's totally your prerogative. If uh, you're upset by Petey being on there, that's totally your prerogative. Um, you know. Let's uh, let's like you said, let's respect each other's opinions and can agree to disagree. But at the end of the day, Petey's a Canuck. And uh, like I said, he's on his way to becoming the most popular Canuck of all time outside of this market. And I, I firmly believe that he if he's not already there, he'll be there pretty damn soon.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with the Spin Chicklets thing as well. Like, I've listened to, like, maybe 10 minutes of an episode here or there, and that was just because of who they had on the episode, and it is way too broy for me. And, you know, I'm just, I don't know, it's just not my jam, right? And I yeah. get it, and I get why it's problematic, and Barstool Sports in general is very problematic, and it's that frat boy kind of, you know, culture that, you know, is mostly in the U.S., but it does exist in Canada too. Uh, that they're kind of honing in for and you know those guys eat it up Uh, i will say this though and hopefully there is some good that come out of this because there was a lot of you know backlash online and a lot of people were like adding the spit and chiclet guys and biz nasty and whitney to some of these you know threads and you know what maybe some of the concerns that people have about their you know misogyny their misogyny you know they can have a chance to reflect in the mirror and be like you know what maybe i should stop saying this word, when referring to sleeping with a woman or whatever it is, you know what I mean. Like maybe there is, th- this you know, outrage about PD going on the podcast. Will maybe make those guys step back and take a look in the mirror and say, "Hey, you know what? Like we can be better. We can always improve. We can all always be better." And if someone's offended. I'm not a woman, I'm not a person of color, but if a woman is offended by the language that those guys use, or a person of color is offended, you know, by the language that someone else uses, who am I to say they should or shouldn't be offended? They have every right to be offended.
0: Yeah, totally. I I completely agree, and and even to that point, I've heard a couple of the Barstool guys say that they've stopped using certain words because of backlash that they've received. So, like you said, if if you're if you make mistakes, and you need to go back to schoolyard stuff as well. Like uh, there's words that I used in schoolyards that I would not dream of using in this day and age, um, and that's that just comes from learning and adapting. And it, it you know if you're just never going to learn and adapt and get smarter, like. What's the point, right? Like you gotta, you gotta continuously evolve. You can't get stuck in in certain things, which leads me into our final thing here before we get into the free freeport segment, uh, the the Mitchell Miller situation out of Arizona, because I think this is this is quite topical and it's it's definitely worth. Mentioning, um I, I assume everyone out there knows what happened. He was the Coyotes' first pick, 111th overall, so they didn't pick until the fourth round. He was their first pick. Their GM wasn't able to draft because he still had a deal with the Blues, and part of that deal was he wasn't going to be drafting with the Coyotes, so uh, Armstrong was not the guy who made the pick. There was information about this player out there. They knew that there was some bullying incidents. In the last week, it became more to light, pretty awful stuff. And the Coyotes today have renounced him as a pick of theirs, so he's no longer a member of the Coyotes. What do you make of all this, Doug? I mean, there's a lot here, uh, obviously. And it, it, for me, it, I've put you to on the spot the first couple times. So I'll kind of lead you in here this time and, and just kind of give you my thoughts. Is I, I think... There's been a a lot of stuff this year, obviously, with Black Lives Matter, and there's a lot of stuff out there with mental health and and bullying. And this pick by the Coyotes, even though they had some information out there, it was their first pick, and they they grabbed this guy right away Uh, and— I don't know, Like it, for me, It's like it feels like they didn't do their homework. And it also, just by drafting this guy who already had that information out there, it sent a very bad message to everything else at the NHL and the Hockey Diversity Association. And again, I believe the NHL can do a lot more than what they've done. But it sent a, to me a really bad message when they drafted this kid. And then when all this other stuff came out, I'm like, you had no choice. And who knows what this kid is if he's ever going to get an NHL chance now.
1: So the incident in question, I believe happened four years ago when he was 14. He's 18 now. Um, One of the things, and we were talking about learning from your mistakes and showing remorse and growing as a person. One of the things that, you know, you read what this kid did and the bullying he did to uh, his fellow student who, like you said, you know, is African-American and has a learning disability you know it's atrocious it's disgusting i just i can't believe that in this day and age you know that would still happen uh unfortunately i'm not surprised that it does happen but the fact that this kid has shown very little to no remorse over the past 4 years the fact that he's never actually apologized the fact that this kid has shown no remorse and the judge there was a someone had read this read the statement that the judge had read to him cuz you know this went to trial like this was a you know a criminal case against this kid and the judge pretty much read out in his verdict that he didn't think this kid felt remorse whatsoever and he was actually just more upset that he got caught than anything um as far as feeling bad or remorseful or you know upset about what had happened Uh, That, to me, is a telling sign. And then there was reports, again, because there was multiple stories about the bullying that took place, that he was still bullying this kid, you know, in a lesser way two years ago. Uh, And so I think with all that coming out and just, you know, the fact that, like, this kid doesn't seem like he's gotten it, uh, you know, to me, that is a major, major concern. And I think, you know, even though they fucked up the first time by drafting this kid, I got to give the Arizona Coyotes credit for reneging the pick or forfeiting the rights to him as a draft pick, Uh, given the outcry and the circumstances. And, you know, you can't always plead ignorance. This did seem like it was widely reported. I got to give credit to a guy like J.D. Burke, who in this market, you know, is a very contentious person. Um, But, you know, he writes for, I believe, Elite Prospects, and, you know, that is behind a paywall. Um, But his uh, analysis of this kid was that he should be drafted because of the bullying incidents, and he believed that a lot of teams didn't have him on their list whatsoever. And I actually saw him tweet, I think yesterday or the day before, that he got word from an inside source at the Canucks, Ryan Beach, that the Canucks did not have him on his draft board whatsoever. The Canucks were not going to draft this kid no matter what, and I think the Canucks deserve a pat on the back for that. And I'm sure there were many other NHL teams that did a thorough investigation into this kid, and were like, I'm not touching this kid. This kid does not. Here's Hear me out. To play in the NHL, it's not a right. It's a fucking privilege. And to me, you don't look like or don't act like you care about anything but yourself, and you're not welcome in, in my eyes, you're not welcome. And I would be extremely disappointed if the Canucks took a player like that. I know Tony D'Angelo is another guy who had a very checkered, you know, teenage years. And even to this day, he still seems like he's got some problematic, you know, thoughts and ideas. Um, and the Flyers took a gamble on him. Um, but this, to me, I think is a little bit more concerning. Uh, well, I shouldn't say more, but it's as concerning... Uh, And the fact that he hasn't shown any remorse, uh, yeah, I I find it repugnant.
0: Yeah, I um, uh, think—good word there, repugnant. Um, I I, think—I'm all for giving people second chances. I've said this in the past. I I believe people should get a second chance, but they have to want that second chance. They have to acknowledge the mistakes, and they have to go from there and learn and really genuinely— get to that point where they earn a second chance. You're not just automatically given a second a chance. You got to, you got to earn that second chance. I know 14, you're young, you make mistakes. I know I did at 14, but you got to learn from them and you got to cut to a point where you're like, Hey, I fucked up. You got to go to this kid's family and, beg for forgiveness and if they don't forgive you you got to live with that and be able to learn from that and move on just because you ask for forgiveness they don't have to forgive you but why Like, I mean it would be pretty damn tough to do it but you have to make those first steps to earn a second chance and you're right I don't I, from what I understand he hasn't gotten it yet I, I hope this kid can learn what he did was wrong it would be a good story if he took this learned from it did something with it, apologize, apologize to the family, did some work. That would be, for me, the perfect ending uh, to this, whether we get there or not. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been four years, and I agree. Like, it would be nice if he would do that and he would reach out and give a heartfelt, meaningful apology, but it just seems like it's – It's going to be, you know, insincere, you know, considering it's, you know, four years too late and a reneged draft pick later.
0: Yeah, I I think we're in agreement with this one. So uh, let's take it into the free pour.
1: Let's do it. All right. It's that time of the podcast for the free pour open floor segment. And I'm just going to jump into mine. And I want to highlight a really cool record label called Light in the Attic. Uh, They're a cool record label out of the U.S. And they reissue a lot of kind of old uh, records that didn't get a massive pressing or didn't get a massive release. And I stumbled across one of their repressings uh, of a band called Purple Image. Um, And they're like a psychedelic funk band from, I believe, the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, Light in the Attic, though. Really, really cool. And they do some other really, really cool releases as well. Um, but yeah, uh, check them out if you're a record collector uh, and you want some kind of cool hidden gem albums or bands that you've never heard of. Light in the Attic.
0: Nice, man. I'll uh, I'll check that out. I'll give that a listen. when uh, I'm working from my home office here. I'm trying to always get into some music I don't know. So that is on the list. Uh, for myself, I just kind of want to rant and bitch a little bit I guess about the West End I love the West End I've lived in the West End for 15 years but the street I live on I had to endure during the summer all this road work so just tearing up my street if you live in the West End you probably know what street it is and all got done super happy I was like hey this is great black topped it all it's nice and fast when i ride my bike down it now and now like three blocks of it again that they've just finished paving they're like digging up holes on it again and i got like i'm looking down on it right now i can see three sets of construction it's like why did you do all this now just dig it up and you're doing this all again city of vancouver waterworks i don't know what the heck you guys got going on did you mess up was this all part of the plan where are all my roundabouts at as well like i almost gotten hit by cars a couple times anyways it's pissing me off down there then the other thing i just wanted to say a fond farewell until next year to the west end farmers markets i love that place ran into a buddy of ours the last couple of weeks uh benny he's got down at the dog park there uh aussie buddy of ours uh, so I, you know it's just kind of a nice thing i would go in i'd buy whatever and then i'd go and hang out with him and his dog and kick them all around It was just really nice you know any kind of interactions yet i like the farmers markets Gonna to have to go out to Nat Bailey now for the farmers markets, uh, which in this weather is making it weather-dependent. Weather, I'll weather ride right out there. But, anyways, West End life. There you go. thanks for tuning in folks that's episode 55 the jovo cop episode just about in the books two other canucks have worn 55 can you think of them doug off the top of your head uh, joseph baranek nah no nah, it's uh i think baranek was 42 i don't know why i remember that but uh no uh shane o'brien
1: oh yeah i should have known
0: that actually. and
1: alex viega Ooh, yeah, you know, I should have known that one as well. I
0: I know. I I thought the same thing when I looked at the list. I'm like, oh, they're 55s. And as soon as I saw Shane O'Brien, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, how do you forget that? And then Diego. But, you know, no hidden kind of numbers in there that those are the only uh, other two guys to wear 55. So it's uh, obviously a defenseman number with uh, rich traditions and history for the Canucks. Um, You can find us again online. The podcast is at Canuckspeak.
1: I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, give me a follow at Doug Ben and the funky groove you're hearing now it will be added to the outro playlist on Spotify it's the Canucks speak easy, speak easy outro playlist on Spotify give that a follow as well
0: And Doug I guess uh,
1: we'll see you in uh, I guess it's
0: fantasy football in uh, the NFL we got the Thursday nighter here uh, we can turn that on and I guess you're going to get to work editing this and watching our Thursday nighter game here what, what do we got Carolina and uh, some... Atlanta Right, right, right. You got anybody playing?
1: Calvin Ridley.
0: I got uh, I got Mike Davis. This is a Swan song. It sounds like.
1: yeah, there was talk that uh, McCaffrey could actually be playing uh, tonight, but I think they'll probably hold him out until next week uh yeah i guess uh that's that's a wrap of the episode I, I don't know i feel like i struggled this episode i don't know I us it and bubble a bit
0: no no i think you're pretty good i uh, you know i thought you're pretty uh pretty strong you came in hard there's uh definitely some some shifts where you you know you kind of got caught in the cycle in your own end but i thought you pulled it out pretty good definitely went on some good long-winded rants lots of emotion in your game tonight as well so you know i give you a solid effort let's see uh when we go back and edit it uh be curious to hear your evaluation what what about my myself i i how did i felt like uh i kind of got a little bit lost myself there at times and definitely was trying to make sure I, i said what i meant toward the end there
1: no man you were calm cool and collective you helped steer the ship as always you know you're the you're the captain of this ride so to speak and uh yeah you know you're always directing us in the right way and uh knowing when to transition from topic to topic uh yeah you were you were your consistent self pete i have to say all right.
0: Well, that's good. I think. Well, fair praise from us. Let's uh, let's see what people say out there. And uh, I think I think we got some good content in this one. So let's wrap this up here, Doug.
1: As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.